the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. The world for people who think... Hello, listeners. Today is Saturday, November 21st, and welcome to The Truth Perspective, everyone. I'm your host, Elon Martin, and with me in the studio today are SOT editors William Barbet. Good afternoon. Bolshink. Hello. And Chris. Good afternoon. The theme for today's show... Yeah. 11.13, a little over a week ago... The worsening situation for immigrants in their host countries, the increasing threats of worldwide against ISIL behind it has become the burning issue as never before. So, groups, terrorism is slowly taking its place. But where is the effect? And what can we expect to see in the near future that is attempting to counteract it? And crush the signal. So, a lot of stuff. It's a sprawling topic. A lot of developments this week. Articles have been coming out left and right. It's it's hard even for us, I think, as editors to keep up with all of the information. But there do seem to be a, a number of key things that have been occurring. And um, France really seems to have uh, jumped on the draconian police state bandwagon of the world. Um, Corey, I know you had a few things on that that you wanted to go over and discuss. Well, yeah, thank you uh, for having me on today, uh, Elon. And uh, I know that I think that in your intro, you really hit on a key point there. We use the word monstrous. Um, I think that's what we're seeing right now is uh, this uh, just this monstrosity that occurred in France, uh, these attacks that have traumatized not only France itself, but all of the other uh, European nations. And what we're looking at right now is a state of hysteria that's spreading like wildfire. And like you said, France has capitalized on that. There's obviously a bit of fear-mongering that's a, not a bit of fear-mongering. There's a, it's basically all that we're seeing happen. It's fear-mongering. And I think that in the face of this tremendous attack and people not credited accurate solutions to all of the issues that have been plaguing Europe over the past uh, few years, ranging from the migration issues, ranging to the threat of terror, to the rise of jihadis and and ISIS and the right-wing groups. There's uh, there's no solutions in sight for a lot of people, and they're, ter- they're becoming desperate, and they're terrified, and they're stuck in this horrible space where they really have... Uh, uh, a lot of options, and I think that what we're seeing now is the birth of this uh, monstrosity, and it's hard to tell where the future will go, but it's not looking very good right now. No, it's not, and, and it, it seems to be even an excuse um, on a on a kind of a mundane level uh, to institute rules and uh, if, uh, company owners, France, the excuse to... Um, encourage 
xenophobic problems and to kind of people who are suspicious. I mean, this re, uh, post uh, U.S. 9/11. Um, so it looks like the U.S. is is kind of doing a very good job of of recreating France in its own image uh, as far as war and terror so-called goes. Um, there was one piece that uh, that we had carried on SOT that, that spoke to some of these things. It was from a, a writer from the World Socialist website with um, the economy in the last the more geopolitical implications in a little bit, but it's just so interesting to see how um, how a, an event like uh, the attacks of last week, uh, or rather um, week and a, nine days ago, and uh, greedy corporate interests to um, make life a little more difficult for for workers uh, in France. Uh, but of course, this is to, to say nothing of um, the the numerous raids uh, in Islamic neighborhoods, the the new kind of crackdown on on, on possible terrorists in in France, uh, the higher visibility of uh, paramilitary and police state forces in France. Um, and of course, you know, uh, what people aren't asking is why have we even come to this point to begin with? You know, what, what are the, uh, the things that have taken place over the past few years that France is guilty of that have created the situation that we're seeing today? And not only that, but why is it that all of these security measures that have been taken that after uh, 14 years of fighting a war on terror has terrorism increased 6,500%? That these acts of terror are now so much more common, not to say that they're the most common threat to man, you know, to humanity, but to say that these, uh, these threats are much more common now, and despite the fact that after attack after attack, uh, these terrorists are known to intelligence and are sort of dropped from their radar uh, for long enough to plan and carry out the attack. It's 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 a it, the big question is what are uh, what are these what are these officials really doing about it? What is you know what are why do they come out and they act like the the strong parental figure who says I know what's right and I know how to get us out of this mess? Why is it so much worse then? <laughs> I mean I think that. That's a rhetorical question for a lot of us, but uh, I know that uh, just reading the headlines from you know, the past two years that in France, uh, Hollande has been to, uh, to arming these forces, these terrorist forces. Um, since 2012, he's admitted to it and to sending the rebels in, in Syria uh, all sorts of weaponry and gadgets so that they can carry out all their uh, terrorist uh, violence there, uh, which is what has been creating a lot of this uh, refugee crisis that we're uh, that we're seeing in Europe right now. And you know, I mean, it's uh, for a lot of uh, you know Syrians, Libyans, Iraqis, this kind of terror, this 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 is not uncommon. It happens all the time, and it's what is uh, 
it's what's causing these problems. Trillions of dollars that governments are spending on their so-called war kind of makes you wonder, well, how come nothing is can be shown from that similar to the war on drugs is just, like you said, 5,400% increase? Uh, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think, I think uh, Corey said, was it even higher? Yeah, so 6,500% increase, which is a mind-boggling uh, if you think about uh, you know, stop crime or thing. If they're a local politician, they say I'm going to stop crime, and they have a 6,500% increase over uh, the course of their uh, seeing through all of their policies. What are you going to say to that? Are you going to say yes, you know, trust him when the next big attack occurs, or are you going to get him out of there? Well, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of the mafia. You know, it's like, uh, you know, uh, give us money, give us protection money. You know, who, who are you protected from? You're being protected from the guys who are saying, "Give us this protection money." Um, and uh, when you when you think of the the West and the intelligence agencies and the governments, and particularly the U.S. that's behind much of this, uh, you know that's that's what they're doing. They're uh, that's the true reality of the situation. Uh, you know, allow us to have these laws. Uh, pay us with your freedoms, pay us with your tax dollars, and and we'll protect you. And uh, of course, the ante keeps getting risen in in the statistic that you mentioned, Corey. I mean, it, it hasn't gotten any worse. Uh, whenever we hear about something like uh, the Paris attack, we hear about a a failure in intelligence. This is the biggest lie uh, that, or one of the biggest lies that's been perpetrated on most people. It's not a failure in intelligence. It's a, it's a success of intelligence. Uh, and, and the standpoint of, the view of those who are really engineering all of these terrorist acts. Um, you know, there are circles within circles. Uh, the Behind the Headlines show spoke a little bit last week about uh, the history of uh, Operation Gladio in Europe. Uh, and when you hear about witnesses during the Paris attacks describe the assailants as, you know, white, uh, <laughs> well-trained, uh, muscular soldier types, um, you know, without the kind of ISIL bandana on them, you have to wonder uh, who these guys are and who's directing them. And, uh, you know, there might be a, a mix of you know bona fide jihadis involved who blow themselves up, but uh, it's definitely not what it presents or purports itself to be. Yes, I, I definitely agree that the uh, that there's there's likely a mix between uh, these intelligence agents and there's uh, the the people who are being handled or who are being duped. Uh, into joining these these groups and becoming essentially essentially these slave uh, warriors um, for what they call it ISIS or ISIL or Daesh or whatever they want to want to call it. Um, I think that uh, for a lot of the people who are you know being duped into that uh, into that situation, it is obviously we're going through a tremendous economic downturn and we have been for quite some time. And the conditions are very ripe to, you know, go out and lure these uh, 
these young these young men who are uh, who have no economic prospects, whether it's in the Middle East or it's in France, they're in a ghetto or they're in a, in a failed state. Um, there's a lot of people out there who they don't have anything to turn to, and then all of a sudden somebody, you know, this ISIS handler comes and he's offering money, he's offering whatever they offer, you know, drugs and whatever sort of fame that they have there. But it's it's interesting that whenever um, these attacks occur, all of everyone's idea of the complexity of the situation disappears and evaporates into this black or white thinking that these um, and they associate all of these with Syrian refugees, I remember those refugees that very well be. He said like jihad, and intelligence officials that have uh, managed to migrate. We got to look all back to the beginning of what caused the crisis. Uh, this, you know, the refugees without a home, without anything, and. We have to look all the way back to the roots of that, and you look no further than NATO and the destruction of Iraq, which saw the birth of the Islamic State back in 2006, and then you know nurtured along through uh, uh, all the all the funding and everything that occurred, and the failure of Libya, the destruction of Libya, and then Syria, and they still are saying it. The United States officials are still saying we need to take out Assad, even though they know perfectly well that you take out uh, the leader of one of these Middle Eastern com- uh, countries and it fractures and it descends into warring tribal factions. It descends into chaos and that is the breeding ground for these terrorists that um, that they then say they're going to protect us from. It's ridiculous. Well, I, I wanted to get back for a moment to um, what you mentioned about the, these ISIL mercenaries getting paid and, and promised uh you know these these jobs of you know uh, chopping people's heads off and going in and and causing complete havoc wherever they're directed to go. Because uh, earlier this week there was the uh, the story of how the U.S. is now getting you know involved in Syria in a significant way, and um, I think it was a uh, it was either a Pentagon or a military spokes spokesman who said that. Um, there had been over a hundred uh, bombings of either tankers or uh, vehicles having uh, fuel uh, in Syria. Big story because where it's been established, was getting a lot of money. They're basically uh, they've basically been raping the um, you know the oil resources of Iraq and Syria. Well, where are they selling it to? Who are they selling it to? And all roads point to Turkey at this point, which makes a lot of sense given given the fact that we know that uh, there have been um, support that have been helping ISIL in getting resources and getting medical uh aid and getting uh, supplies and in, in finding a way to sell really stolen. So, um, you know, the U.S. is now claiming to have destroyed over the vehicles. 
Democrats or and Putin basically to have done over the past 14 or so months, if not more. So, um, you know, it was very interesting. There was a, a video segment on PBS. And this is a American public broadcasting that, uh, that included some of this footage uh, over the narrative of the U.S. now destroying ISIL, you know, fuel capability and, and selling ability. But it was Russian footage, and they didn't attribute it to uh, Russia. So, you know, public broadcasting uh, in the U.S., PBS has this reputation, this kind of progressive, honest uh, uh, reputation of, you know, really getting down into the, the nitty-gritty and, and kind of, you know, showing things as they really are, even if it's deeply critical. Basically, subtly lying, uh, you know, in, in favor of the U.S. by not acknowledging uh, Russia's incredible success uh, in, in the infrastructure. Yeah, you get the, it's just doing little things like, Oh my, we got jihadi John, look at us. We are awesome. You know, they're just doing these little pithy things to try and keep the attention away that they're actually helping ISIS by doing these little bombings and these little, I mean, they're minuscule compared to what Russia is doing. It's just, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, I have some stats about what Russia has been doing for the past week, just in summary. Um, Structure. They've doubled the number of jets being used, and as of this past week, there were 69 jets flying 143 sorties every day, and they've increased their use. This past week, they launched at least 100 cruise missiles, and in one instance, cruise missiles that hit seven targets and killed somewhere around 600. House cleaning over there. Well, and, and it's been, uh, you know, Putin came out. Uh, Putin's come to this issue. And us,
we're going to reset a couple of things here, folks. So bear with us. Thank you. In the meantime, maybe I'll, I don't know, maybe I'll sing a song. We don't have any kind of automatic music here. So I remember this is something I'm, I'm going to recall them. Any requests? Sinatra. Sinatra? You knew that was coming. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Sinatra requires a little bit of uh, exuberance. And talking about this <laughs> this topic makes me feel kind of angsty and okay. it's rather upsetting. I don't know. Yeah. Totally understandable. Well, I think, I mean, it is a depressing uh, subject when you kind of look at the at the direction that it's that it's going, but at, at the same time, there is a little bit of uplift. Kind of, you're talking about all the ISIS targets that have been taken out uh, by Putin and in Russia in general. Just kind of adding their their energy and their efforts into this mix is actually um, it's kind of created a situation. I mean, it's created a situation where the U.S. has just been seen as the bumbling. Uh, idiots that they that they are. I mean, that's it's something that you know a lot of us thought that we'd we'd see happen on the the world stage. Um, and you know, as I remember seeing a, a a meme the other day that said the U.S. Uh, gives uh, Toyotas to ISIS, and Russia gives pain. <laughs> yeah. I think you know that's a, that kind of sums up uh, this big dichotomy that's become apparent on the world stage. So, chatters, are we sounding a little better to you? We've, we've done a little tweaking on our end. Sound is much clearer. Thank you very much. And uh, I promise in the future I'll see New York, New York at some point as per uh, a request. Yay. So, well, thanks for the suggestion. It's one of my favorites. But something really positive has to happen to inspire uh, such a display on the truth perspective, I think. <laughs> Anyway, um, Corey, you, you were just saying um, in response to Mark's statistics, if you could just reiterate that for our listeners, because I think it was important. Yeah, the Russia's intervention in Syria has uh, for, just exposed to everyone this stark dichotomy, uh, this contrast between the U.S. strategy uh, and Russia's strategy. And the U.S. strategy is to give the terrorists lots of love and hugs and make sure that they all sleep nice in their beds at night. And Russia's strategy is to make sure that they get the justice that they deserve for all of the killings, for all of the destruction that they've sown, um, whether they're CIA uh, intel operatives or they're just uh, mercenary uh, lunatics. And I think that these, uh, these attacks... Um, have Russia has very uh, adequately parlayed these uh, this response uh, to you know bombing ISIS and into their own strategy, which is something that I think uh, I wasn't expecting to see uh, right after the attacks. I uh, I wasn't expecting to see uh, anything even remotely uh, positive come out of them. But I remember seeing the meme in France go uh, go viral about. Uh, you know, Vladimir Putin and his, you know, sends the terrorists to the outhouse. And so, I mean, you can tell that Russia's uh, influence is still caught up in this whole this whole thing, and it is it could have a, a positive influence. Well, it looks like we have a caller. I'm going to 
I'm going to see if that caller is still there. Hello, caller. Are Hello. you there? Hey, this is Steve. Hi. This is Steven. This is Steven. Can hey, y'all hear Steven. me? How are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just letting yes. you know uh, I usually I usually uh, faithfully faithfully tune in at two uh, at two p.m. on Saturdays, and um, I don't know what the deal is, but for the first time um, I couldn't establish uh, a live feed um, through the uh, web web through the web through my iPhone today. So, uh, um, and I, I really didn't well, want we were, to miss this show. Go ahead. We were having some uh, some technical connection issues, so that may have been part of the problem. We were informed of that. But anyway, if you have any comments or, or thoughts, yeah, uh, yeah, feel free. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And um, I'm, I hope that you guys post this um, um, on the podcast um you know, segment. You know, uh, as soon as possible, because I, I missed the first part of the 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 uh, you know the the thoughts coming out today from y'all. So um, here's what I have to say. I find it very, very. Um, I'm trying to wrap my head around the whole situation with uh, respect to uh, France and Russia, uh, because from you know I'm trying to get information, and it you know um, France has been playing a really nasty uh, game with the U.S., the Saudis, the Qataris, the Turks. You know, of funding these, uh, of, of giving sucker and support to uh, Islamic State on the one hand, and also giving weapons and money and supplies to these various uh, groups that are in, that are working with the U.S. to uh, topple the uh, the Syrian government, and then France and then Russia, uh, Putin adroitly comes out and says, "Yeah, we're with you, France," and you know we. He instructed his uh, his navy, they totally cooperate with the the French. They're our friends in this battle, right? And then, um, but what we're really not getting is any um, from the French establishment. You're not getting really. I'm not being able to get any clear rationale um, and acknowledgement of the the nasty game France has been playing in all of this for years now, and it seems like they're kind of like totally silent. Because on the one hand, the United States is like telling them, "Don't don't cooperate with Putin. We want to we want to destroy this this evil Assad, you know." And uh, but see, France can't come out and say that because it's it's too contradictory, right? So they gotta like they gotta play along. So I think that your the topic of today's show is it's totally correct. Um, you know, the Europe has to decide you know, which side it's going to support. Are they going to continue to be puppets of U.S. imperialism and follow orders and remain silent about this insane policy that has led to all kinds of tumult and compromised uh, Europe's security? Or they, you know, that would be the path of sanity. Or are they going to continue to be obsequious to the United States' larger goals, which make totally no sense, that are, um, that are just, that are, that are very flat-footed and clumsy, Trying to prop up the uh, its its power as a superpower on the world stage, when it has done so many contradictorily and vile things, undermined um, you know the health and safety of humanity in general. So uh, you know, I'm I'm just I really would like to uh, understand all of this better, but um, it's very difficult to find cogent information um, that really analyzes this in depth and uh, without fear. Of um, you know trying to you know I noticed that most of these uh, the journalism kind of totally hides 
France is in the United States uh, part in fueling terrorism inside of Syria for years now. So anyway, that, that's basically all I have to say today. Well, th- those are uh, some good comments, Stephen, and um, you kind of summed up what we'd like to discuss today in a nutshell. I think we can surmise a few things, though. I think that, uh, you know, I think that there are um, groups uh, who are heavily compromised and aligned with the Western agenda. And I think that if there are, and there have to be, uh, some people in the government, in the military, who are aware of these groups, uh, they know what they're capable of, and and they know that it's a it's a hydra-headed monster, um, and they're probably afraid for their own safety. I mean, if you remember after the uh, Paris attack one with uh, Charlie Hebdo, you had a a police officer who was very close to a part of the investigation who was found in his office. Uh, And, um, you know, it didn't take much to realize that the guy was probably suicided uh, because he was very close to the truth of knowing that there were, that there was some serious complicity inside of the uh, intelligence and security apparatus within France uh, or so it seemed, um, and it's gonna it's gonna really require um, something to happen within those who who have a conscience and, and who can think for themselves, and who are possibly inspired by the the works of uh, Russia and Putin, and uh, and now Iraq and Syria and and Iran that are taking a stand to to act, um, and it. I don't know. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. Well, remember, too, that Putin has put out that threat that he knows 40 countries are involved in financing ISIS, and he's going to out them and request punishment. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of countries that are kind of shaking in their boots, wondering how are they going to deal with this if anything gets revealed. I mean, even Qatar has started to send letters to Putin to try and be friendly and, and, and you know, to mitigate any kind of damage that might come up if something gets exposed. So I think that's one of the reasons why NATO is so silent right now, because they're trying to figure out how to respond. Well, yeah, yeah all, the, all the countries that are – I was just going to say, Stephen, and all the countries that are uh, NATO vassals are – uh, they have been paying a heavy price for that already. I mean, look at what happened to France, and then if, if Putin does out them, that price is going to go up tremendously and very embarrassingly, and it's going to cause a lot of a lot of problems for the powers of yes. in those countries that have been doing this. Yes, yes. yes and I, I think it's very telling. It's just really remarkable that when, when Putin came out and said that a week ago at this meeting of the G20, you know, um, I think Putin's just so smart in that, some things you just should not say. Don't go all the way there because it's not going to let you. You got to let things play out. But when he came out and, and mentioned, like, "Hey, uh, we've got all these photos, satellite photos of all of this uh, this oil oil uh, revenue for ISIL infrastructure," we got satellite evidence. Next thing you know, United States is there, Johnny on the spot, doing some uh, 
fairly uh, lackluster uh, bombing of it and then heralding that to their uh, the propaganda media apparatus in the United States is like, wow. And then now you have, in this this last week, you have a lot of discussion on, these, like, forums about, like, the the uh, the Islamic states, uh, how do they generate money. And I just think it's very, it was very remarkable that Putin did that, but it's also remarkable on what is not let out of the bag and not stated bluntly because they're smart enough to know that, look, we're going to let this meme come out. We're going to let the uh, all these other players, these journalists, like, focus on it. And then, like, later on, when it's strategically necessary, we can let something else out. But it would have been the worst mm-hmm. thing to do. Like, if Putin should, you know, he, he could not have. It would have been stupid of him to come out and say, hey, France, you've been supporting these terrorists for three years. No, that would have been the worst thing he could have done, right? Mm-hmm. So um, as far as, you know, how this plays out, I just cannot conceive of how France and any of these European powers could ever just isolate Russia in this and how all of this plays out and then try to put troops there, try to, like, keep all of this terror going against the Syrian government. I just don't see how that ever plays out because it would be so contradictory and irrational to sell that to their, uh, to their propaganda to the populations of all these nations, Right. So um, I just don't see how the United States has any leverage to take this and turn this scenario into their long-term favor, because I just—it's just intellectually and morally bankrupt, you know, what they've been doing these attacks against the um, Syrian government. And I'd also like to say this, um, you know, of course, everybody, including myself, I'm very ideological, you know, and I'm—and um, I'm very—I've been, you know, I've. I've transitioned my mind as I learned more about what Russia's doing in the global context over these last few years. But really, we have international law. And if, if states do not have sovereignty and do not have the right to protect themselves against external aggression, illegal aggression, then we have no law at all. We have no system of global governance that we can work together as nations and deal with problems as they come up. And, of course, the United Nations has been very compromised. You know, it's been very lackluster in many ways. But really, when it comes down to it, we either have international law or we just have the rule of the jackals and chaos. So um, I think that Russia and Putin, the people that are the forces that are on the side of good in this, um, will prevail because I just don't see how these jackals can turn this situation around into their favor because it will not work for anybody on the entire planet. So that's all I have to say, and I hope I can reach you guys through the uh, Internet to listen to the rest of your show. All right? Thanks for the call, Stephen. Have a good one. God bless you all. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, if I could just make a brief comment to follow up uh, some of the things Stephen said towards the end of his conversation um, there is international law. It's just being flouted, or whatever the proper terminology is, being ignored. And uh, that's why the United States is in Syria. They just do what they want and they get it ready. And Russia has pointed out many times that it's in blatant violation of international law. There's no UN Security Council mandate for the U.S. to be in there. And now that uh, bombings took place in Paris, 
uh, France has stepped up their activity and they've increased um, their uh, assistance, if you can call it that, and they're entering Syria bombing oil fields. Um, I, I'm not sure what to what extent there weren't many details given, but to the contrary, Russia was invited. They're there legally, and they're doing things strategically and surgically. Just as an example, um, sometime in the past week, Russia bombed and destroyed 500 oil tanker trucks that were supposed to be transporting oil from Syria to Iraq, and uh, they let all this out. That, that amount of detail comes out, and so you know they aren't just willy-nilly destroying oil fields or whatever have you that would really harm the infrastructure. They're cutting it off at the point that it's being transported. And so those were ISIL-controlled uh, trucks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what the reports say. So there is international law, but it's just being violated, which, which uh, makes you wonder... Who's the law for? You know, it, I guess it's for the, the people that are willing to obey it. And the, and the big 10,000-pound gorillas on the block just seem to have this attitude. Is we do what we want, we get ready. And if you don't like it, do something about it. Well, Russia is. So they're there, and they're doing things by the book and, and putting it all out on a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis, and they're being extremely effective. And quite frankly, they're embarrassing the hell out of the United States and NATO as a whole. Mm-hmm. I uh, just to comment another point that Stephen made, uh, an excellent point about uh, just wondering just how uh, the U.S. NATO can respond to uh, Putin's uh, strategies. And I think that one thing that we're going to see played out till the bitter end is they're just going to lie about it. That's they're just going to lie. They're going to not report. They're going to lie. And uh, a lot of the people who are blindly uh, following uh, the supposed authorities, um, they, uh, they're they just going to be suckered right along with them um, all the way to the bitter end. It's just going to be – and the lies are going to get worse, more ridiculous. I mean, I think, you know, just – the the lies that we uh, that we see come out on a weekly basis, you know, how it all seems looks like a circus, just day after day, and the the politicians are, you know, the the uh, these crazy lunatic politicians who will use any excuse to uh, to sound crazier and to push for more crazy legislation, and I'm speaking about in America now about. Uh, you know Donald Trump and Chris Christie and Rand Paul and their idea about the you know all Muslims should have some sort of an ID card or you know we, we have to restrict the flow of uh, Syrians because of how dangerous they are. Um, it's just it's going to keep getting worse and worse and worse because that's all they do is lie and they're going to double down every single time that Putin goes uh, makes a move. They're going to double down on their lies and it's going to get uglier and uglier. That's my that's my thought. Well, it's interesting that there there are these lone voices in the wilderness of U.S. politics that have come out in, in recent days and weeks and uh, respond to the nonsense that we hear getting spouted from from folks like uh, you know Christie and Trump and uh, and Paul and uh, there was one in particular uh, representative Steve Russell of Oklahoma who was I think a, a for, you know former soldier in in one of the uh, wars in Iraq. And, um, you know, he basically lambasted these guys and, uh, and was, you know, he did some of his homework. He, he 
along with a lot of people these days, uh, have been making the connection uh, between the rhetoric coming out of the U.S. in regards to Syrian refugees and, and the way that the U.S. responded to the refugee crisis of the late 1930s when Jews were trying to leave Germany and Europe and find a safe haven in the U.S. And um, many of the same kind of uh, arguments and, and rhetoric were used back in the late 1930s. Um, you know, uh, we have to help ourselves first. Uh, you know, we have to give our children, you know, uh, aid before we give someone else aid. Um, and, and I mean, there are levels of, of ignorance to, to many of these statements. Like, I, I, it's like I, I don't even want to discuss it. I'm disgusted by it. Yeah. Um, but you know, just another example of how what we're seeing today echoes the events of World War II all so well. Yeah, especially in Germany. A lot of the happenings in there are uh, starting to overtly mirror what happened uh, in Germany. And I think um, I'll just mention that uh, some of our German SOT editors published a really good article. I believe it was posted this morning called Refugee Crisis in Germany, Nazis on the Rise, Never Again, Happening Again. And uh, just to give you a brief idea of what's in that article, you can find it on the website in the SOT Focus section, but I'll read you um, just a couple of paragraphs from it just to give you an idea of how they're seeing it being in the country. Um, and, uh, quote, the mainstream media's opinion about the refugee crisis reflects what Joe Mark and the government are saying, that it's a, been a, a duty of all Germans to welcome the refugees and that we will work it out, quote-unquote. But we notice that the media also issues warnings about alleged ISIS terrorists among the refugees, which, of course, creates great confusion among the people. So I should welcome these refugees into my neighborhood, and at the same time, I should fear them because crazy head choppers are among them? That's the question Germans are asking each other, uh, some of them anyway. And it goes on. There's also a lot of sub subtle and not-so-subtle fear-mongering about the dramatic consequences of the crisis, with the tabloids using words like refugee storm and overrun. The German media has been covering the refugee crisis pretty much 24-7, a veritable bombardment of scaremongering and manipulation, which contributes to a sense of fear and helplessness among the population, which is exactly where the government want us as a result of this shock strategy or paranoia switch, as psychologist Martha Stout calls it. People become so afraid and confused, they're susceptible to accepting the most horrendous ideas and actions, most notably the blind hatred towards Muslims and refugees spread by the tabloids in concert with the right-wing so-called alternative media. End quote. So, and it, you should, uh, all you listeners might want to read that article a lot more than just what I wrote. And they give some really good examples of how it's, it's paralleling how in the early days of uh, the rise of the Nazi empire in Germany, how they treated the Jews and how they um, manipulated thinking about them, that they have to be treated differently. And we know what happened behind all that. Yeah. Uh, it's a big topic. Uh, the way that uh, these European countries are, are having this hysteria. 
insisted on them in the form of uh, rhetoric about immigrants and refugees and and, and the who's behind the terrorism. Um, what's really important to understand here, I think, is that all of this is by design. Uh, we were talking a little bit for the show and just reviewing this material. And the sad fact of the matter is that among a great number of refugees coming from these North African countries and Syria and other places will be some who are on the payroll of these countries that Putin made mention of who will seek to perpetuate the program. And what is the program? Uh, the program is mass destabilization, divide and conquer, all to serve Western hegemonic interests. Um, so on one hand, uh, there may in fact be some legitimate uh, concern that among the refugees are these crazies. Um, by the same token, you are basically signing away the lives of hundreds of thousands of people um, because you're not thinking clearly, and I'm speaking of the governments of Europe, about how to handle the situation. Uh, and <laughs> and we said this at the top of the show, although I don't know if it was clearly heard. I mean, all of this would not have happened if there hadn't been either direct or tacit support for U.S.-NATO uh, intervention in Libya, in Iraq, in Syria um, over the past few years. They've literally let the floodgates open. <clears throat> And despite all of their uh, propaganda from the likes of Tony Blair and other uh, apologists, they didn't, they weren't going in there blind. They didn't think that, uh, they didn't just accidentally cause this huge firestorm to wage through the Middle East, you know, pursuing their quote-unquote you know, humanitarian agenda or their war on terror or whatever it flip-flops into from, you know, news report to news report year to year. What they did was they had these plans, uh, they had plans way back into the 90s about exactly how to take over the Middle East through destabilizing country after country because a lot of these Middle Eastern countries did not share a common identity. And so once you remove this, that central power figure, it descends into violence and it descends into this uh this chaos that we that they have engineered it's uh it was premeditated uh, a lot of it was uh obviously they're flying by the seat of their pants uh trying to get all this done and and spending as you know trillions of dollars in order to make sure that the you know the jihadis were armed and equipped to do this but they knew what they were doing when they went in. They created this mess, and then it looks like Turkey was kind of singled out to be the the handmaiden for this whole thing. Uh, with a, you know, it's very suspicious that Turkey was having a, up to two million refugees. Uh, they had this huge open uh, policy where it's if you're a refugee, you need safe haven, come to us. And they spent billions to to house these refugees, and then all of a sudden. The refugees uh, ended up in Europe, and I mean, it's a lot of this is uh, uh, it's it's just absolutely 
uh, diabolical. Like you said, it was planned. A lot of it is uh, it's just you know going through chaos, just kind of chaos theory about everything that's happening. But it was planned uh, by some groups and it was carried out, and now we see the the chaos. Yep. People's minds off of <clears throat> the poor situation that they're in, driven by the economy. Um, it's obviously not doing very well. It's very sick. And there's more and more, or, or less and less middle class people. So they're very unhappy and struggling to survive and to keep their thing from going towards the elites who are causing this problem. The refugee influx and the chaos that it's consuming is diverting people's attention away from who originally created it, why, and the, the psychopaths solved. I thought that was a, a great point in that article. Well, there was a you know, that, that reminded me well in a, an article um, called "Time to Name the ISIS Allies: The Unmagnificent Seven, which is a reference to a, a Western called the Magnificent Seven. Um, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Turkey, Israel, America, France, and the UK. The unmagnificent seven, and the and the one line that kind of uh, stuck out at me in this article was distinctly: a civilians' war against terrorism is two pronged. A war against violent religious extremists of all flavors and color. And war against extremist politicians in power. Uh, you know, that that seems to be where we are. Uh, and until a greater number of people realize that uh, these these politicians who are um, you know some of them just don't know anything they're so abysmally ignorant about about the world stage and they spout off you know especially the the republican uh, um, presidential hits who go on about uh, you know, no fly zones over over Syria. It's just a buzzword. It's just a it's just this little groupthink meme that they've come up with, not not having any understanding of its implications. Anything. But it 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 far you know stripped that. Uh, we have politicians uh, who are in positions of power, either deep or much blackmailed. Uh, they have absolutely no conscience whatsoever uh, about about their acts, and I know we've said it a million times, but it it just bears. Uh, uh, they don't care about anything except for their power, and that's what Putin is revealing to the people <clears throat> very clearly. It's being anti-Russian, especially from the U.S., is coming from. We can't have him exposing us like this. <laughs> Got to stop him. Well, in, in that piece that was mentioned earlier uh, regarding the 40 countries who were paying ISIL to be ISIL, uh, some of which were on the G20, major in, industrial countries. I, we can we can guess which a few of them are. I think a few were mentioned just a moment ago. Um, you know, one article that we carried on SOT showed that you know, regarding the news of the G20, 
there were almost no articles carrying Putin's statement about his evidence for showing that these G20 countries were paying ISIL. You only had a handful of countries and media outlets in Asia that were doing this. So that gives us some great understanding as to how clamped down the media is and how little real information is getting out to the people who really need to hear it and know it and, and to help realize that it's their governments that are uh, culpable. Yeah, when I think of uh, the Tuesdays, I just I just think of whiny, spoiled little brats that have pretty much gotten everything they wanted in their lives, and they've got you know millions of dollars, and it's it's very it's really easy for them to condemn the poor, to condemn uh, the working class, and to you know to support whatever is going to get them money. So they they use these buzzwords because that's what they're paid to use. And they put on this circus because that's what gets them votes, they think, or that's what gets them popularity. And, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, the, uh, like you said, Putin is exposing them for being these spineless little nasties that don't have anyone's interest at heart except their own. They don't care about the American people. That's obvious by now. Too bad American people don't care enough to see that at this point in our history that these politicians just don't care and they're going to provide any uh, solutions and we're going to need to come up with uh, some sort of solutions um and if it you know even this late stage in the game you know we have to uh we have to think for ourselves on all of these matters and come to our own conclusions and how does one do that that's the question uh you know, you have political systems, intelligence agencies, behemoth, uh, you know, territorial um, infrastructure that is so entrenched uh, is who communicate to each other uh, the situation as we see it uh, in the hopes that knowledge of it in some way, somehow, uh, can be used to, A, um, share it with those who don't know to spread the word and B uh, to help humanity through a future that looks pretty bleak. Well, and I also think that a lot of American uh, Americans have these uh, are represented uh, pretty well by these politicians. I think that that humanity is exclusive politicians uh, in time wine. Uh, loathing for Russia, for, you know, other people, the poor. Um, I think that it's obvious that uh, things have gotten a lot worse over the past 14 years as we've, our culture has regressed due to the, all the rampant acts of terrorism and clampdowns and believing just whatever lie anybody is willing to sell us. And there's a whole devoted to manufacturing these lies and selling them and making sure everyone's afraid um, and I think that, you know, this, uh, this cultural regression is, is going to continue as that, you know, this, like I said earlier, the, the U.S. government is going to react to, uh, to positive developments in the world by lying about it. Uh, and every time that it comes out that I is being, uh, fueled by the stuff, we're just going to about mess it. And also might have to bring empathy back into the picture. I mean, that's going to be so important for people to act on their conscience, on their empathy, and not on on fear. 
Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that big in this um, I should say fascist crackdown on uh, unions and and middle class and and working class people. Uh, the author described it as a war on conscience. And I've been reading that more and more lately, that there is this kind of a war and a war on empathy. And, um, you know, we don't often look at world events in that context. Uh, we've discussed polarization before here, uh, the kind of uh, viral infection of, of thinking in, in psychopathic way, uh, in a selfish way. Um, but you never think about it in terms of, um, well, I, I shouldn't say never, but uh, we don't often think about it in the context of, uh, you know, these events designed on some level to destroy the what makes us best. Um, although certainly, you know, we, we've seen a kind of preview in, with the events in the Ukraine. I mean, this country went from being this kind of uh, hobbling along, um, uh, but but still relatively stable country with a bad economy and corruption. It had problems, no doubt. Into this fractured, uh, xenophobic, warlike, Nazi-like country in almost no time. I mean, it, it makes your head spin. And so, you know, the, with the events of the Paris attacks, and now with uh, you know, these these German anti-immigration groups that use freedom as their cover, um, although how the hell they do that, I have no idea. Uh, you know, what they're basically doing is they're making it okay, these, these groups, to uh, be frightened of and hateful of and not compassionate of the other, the suffering other. And they cite the law as their... As, as the mode to, in order to do that, black and white thinking. Don't think about the empathy. Think about the rule of law. It's illegal for them to be here and for us to help and blah, blah, blah. Right. And another issue I think that was brought up about Germany, uh, which is kind of um, this kind of replay yet again of, you know, this is what the Nazis did. It's the law. Uh it's the law that that enables us to um, round up people. Uh, it's the law that enables us to, um, you know, take away the freedoms of people, strip them of their citizenship, uh, make them stateless. Uh, and of course, when that happens, and this is another huge replay as well. I mean, basically, you have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people who are without uh, a, a home by necessity, because they want to live. Um, they're going to these other places, but they're stateless. They don't have, they're, since they're not citizens in the places that they're going, uh, presumably they don't have the same rights as the citizens. Mm -hmm. And um, this is discussed at length in a book uh, called The Cunning of History, which I, I highly recommend. Um, you know, this is a... You know, just to use the word again, it's diabolical. Um, 
and you know yeah we have this we have this struggle uh this worldwide struggle in in destroying isil and, and terrorism where it exists uh but now we have this whole other issue of of the fallout of what to do with all of these people um in the face of extreme xenophobia no rights and um and laws which demonize them for the mere fact of them being islamic or being from syria or some other country that has suffered nato and isil uh destruction yeah history is has shown uh, repeatedly uh what happens when you lose that empathy that conscience uh, which is essentially your humanity and how a monster is born in that moment um I've got a, just a quote from that German article. Uh, it's a quote from the book uh, Defying Hitler uh, by Sebastian Hoffner. I remember the name correctly. Um, he writes, How different history would be if men were still independent, standing on their own two feet, as in ancient Athens. Today they are yoked to the details of their work and daily timetable, dependent on a thousand little details, cogs in a mechanism they do not control, running steadily on rails and helpless if they become derailed. Only the daily routine provides security and continuity just beyond lights of the dark jungle. Every European of the 20th century feels this in his bones and fears it. It is the cause of his reluctance to do anything that could detail his life, something audacious or out of the ordinary. It is this lack of self-reliance that opens the possibility of immense catastrophes of civilization, like the rule of the Nazis in Germany. I think that um, not only the rise of the Nazis in Germany, but the rise of the neocons in the United States, the rise of Pegida in Germany, and the rise of Golden Dawn in Greece. And when we see these figures rising in all these different countries and we see them gain power, we are seeing that humanity is dying in those countries. And, you know, when we see these huge attacks, these horrendous attacks occur, and we see the suffering and the trauma that's created, like in Paris, that we've seen. And then we see the aftermath. I think that's what makes it doubly tra- uh, traumatizing and, and horrifying. And just even more important to retain your empathy, retain everything that you have, every shred of humanity that you have, <laughs> and push on. Yeah, and hopefully it doesn't get worse. Like in, the, in Nazi Germany, there were people who tried to help the Jews and tried to hide them or try and protect them, but you were in grave danger for doing something like that. Now, in Germany right now, there's uh, the government's floundering on what to do, but yet you have a lot of volunteer people that are actually helping the Syrians or any of the other refugees. And Hopefully, there's not going to be some sort of clampdown on those kinds of people. When I... When I read that a lot of the help with the refugees is coming from volunteers in Germany, I it, it really um, I was just happy to read it uh, because it it spoke to a whole uh, segment of the population that hasn't yet or or won't be polarized or or affected by the the kind of extreme Hirata machine that that runs a lot of Germany. Um, and we can only hope that uh, they that they continue in their efforts and and kind of serve as an example 
of of a people who have learned their lessons from World War II, um, which, which kind of brings us to some other issues regarding what we're seeing, and that is, you know, uh, Germany's whole response to uh, what they're seeing happening. Um, you know, Merkel has to be aware uh, of the ways in which things are occurring. She has to be aware of uh, events not being what they seem. Um, there's been a lot said about uh, the fact that, you know, the NSA is so infiltrated into Germany. Uh, we briefly touched upon the fact, you know, there was this journalist, this German journalist who came out last year um, in an interview on RT and who wrote a book and was making the rounds and, and telling people how he had spent years on the CIA payroll, effectively, uh, and how utterly controlled German media is by the U.S. CIA. Um, so there's been a great deal of effort and money uh, being uh, directed to Germany, to her media, to her leaders, um, to her military, to her intelligence agencies, in an effort to steer Germany away from any kind of um, constructive relationship economically with Russia uh, and to toe the party line. Um, and so, you know, we, we're looking at what Hollande is doing. Um, domestically, certainly, things look pretty terrible. Uh, but he did make some statements earlier in the week, um, just following the Paris attacks, to the effect of, you know, we can no longer allow this war of attrition to continue. We have to possibly connect with Russia and uh, form a union in destroying ISIL. So I don't know how much of that is sincere. I don't know, you know, if if he's sending a message to the U.S., if he even has the uh, the fortitude, the integrity to do such a thing. I do know that he's going to, he was planning a meeting with Obama, and then following that he was going to fly to Russia and meet with Putin. Um, so the question, you know, arises again, where will these two countries go? You know, what, what can we expect to see in the coming months? Um, there's a lot at stake, certainly. And there's a lot of pressure that's being uh, applied to both countries to uh, to make a decision, a choice. It does look like uh, Germany is it was under siege even before these attacks and before the hysteria, and that a lot of pressure is being applied to Merkel from within her own uh, ruling party. And it sounds like some uh, some individuals are you know it's starting to split, and you know there's plenty of there's plenty of media out there saying Merkel lost control. Merkel, you know, does Germany. Is getting paid or or blackmail to send pressure on her and 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 both back to the crisis. Uh, 
Jeremy. Syria. 
basically taking that opportunity to say, hey, you know, in in the interfending ourselves, we're going to go after the you know, the major way. And uh, I'm paraphrasing here. He basically put everyone on notice, everyone who's responsible in some way for the downing of the airliner, and told them that he will come. So, another interesting thing to to look for in the comics and months that provide a little inspiration. Although the whole damn thing is so horrible. You know, it's like, you know, you don't even see that, but it is satisfying on some level to know that there's just perfect. So who put them all out on notice? And um, and I think the Rocha is quite capable of doing some of his own fortification, uh, warfare strategy, and, and uh, uh, just another um but I wasn't what people remember they kind of rocked in the situation. Um you know, in in one of the talks recently at the twenty said, we really I quote, we really need support for you as European nation, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iran. Uh what he's saying essentially is look, help us help us with this and let's try and not do this anymore. You have to, you know, as he said in the union speech, uh, you know, don't you see now what you've done? It's like, he, I think he's already come to the point of, of realizing that he's with mad dogs. That he's can act for an amount of um, reasonableness and, and construct behavior. He wants to appeal to that. He's asking these people to be an inert. All they simply have to do is stop their funding. Period. Would demandly crush Syria in meeting their goals. It's so simple. Yeah, and if they were they were to stop and sh- uh, things really quickly. Towards hey, it's uh, must on that they keep on being pushing. It sounds like a just distance themselves from that, realizing well we need to get rid of vices for about a moment. <laughs> well, like a like a broken record, I you know. Uh, so Joe Quinn recently had a, an interview on Press TV, uh, a little bit of debate with um, some think tanker guy, and uh, just like a like a broken barrel, like a broken record machine, this guy you know repeated Assad, you know, gassed his own people, and uh, Joe had you know, for the umpteen time, you know, it's already been disproved. I did not gas his own people. The the UO as Carlo Ponti up the guy this portrayed as but that didn't matter in the in the reality of the West. Uh all that matters is taking that one idea and a thousand effing times 
until it becomes fact. It's the big lie. Yeah, same with the barrel bombs. There's no proof at all that Syria used the barrel bombs rolled by helicopters. And that's a hundred tons of the drop. There's a rat. Well, it's all. It's the U.S. East and South America alone. It's long. I think uh, Naomi Klein's book, The Shock Doctrine, literally, if anybody's listening that wants to know how this game is played and how they strategize it in chill, that's a great It's called The Shock Doctrine. Well, there, there's been another kind of um, parallel vote um, along with those of the things, those things that we're seeing in Europe right now, and that is uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, that uh, that paragon of virtue and justice, goodwill in Israel, um, saying that, uh, um, well, standing alongside France, of course, in, in the battle. Um, but uh, but basically, I mean, they are taking advantage of all, this, uh, all of these stories and ramping up um, the rounding up, uh, the preemptive killings, uh, and the the aggression towards Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank. And it looks like uh, he's added another provocation. I should say, 
has no sincere intention to create any kind of peaceful resolution. Um, it's a kind of a, a long gone conclusion, but it's never been so obvious. Um, and uh, and I think Israel is also holding on to, you know, if you understand that Israel has been supporting the uh, jihadi moderate, so-called moderate rebels in Syria, they're still holding on to this kind of their Israel plan that includes cleansing ethnic Palestinians and also includes uh, kind of taking the um, the Golan Heights in a in a more comprehensive way. Uh, William, we were talking about that a little bit earlier. It seems that there is a lot of oil. Basically. There's a big oil find in the Golan Heights. Uh, very easily, you know, despite the close proximity of Russia and Syria fighting, that, that's part of Syrian ter- territory. And they're worried that Syria might try and uh, reclaim that territory back. Well, we know that Israel has been providing medical treatment to the so-called uh, rebels in Syria. We know that they have been providing uh, logistical support um, in the way that they have been bombing infrastructure in Syria. They've been giving logistical support for ISIS effectively. Israel has. Israel has. And we also know... Yeah, they buy their oil. ...that the most badass uh, Muslim jihadis, supposedly, in the world, we'd ever disgorge on humanity hasn't done anything to Israel. It's like you would think it would be kind of like the, their first target, you know, the infidels yeah. uh, of, of the Middle East. We're, you know, what's, what's happened, guys? You know, you know, that's a part of the narrative you can figure out. Uh, you know, I, although I suppose just to uh, support that narrative, they, they might, they wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them to, to create a situation to make it look like it was uh, battling Israel or against Israel. Anyway. Uh. Well, you saw a little bit of that when uh, uh, <clears throat> in Gaza there were some missiles fired over to Israel and then ISIS was saying, that's what we did. <laughs> so lame. It is lame, but they're trying to uh, connection. Was that in the ISIS magazine? <laughs> ISIS magazine. Yeah, and um, and then you, you can't forget about old Netanyahu coming out and blaming the Palestinians for the Holocaust. I mean, you know, just for the world. Uh, I mean, the world. I, I think is is. And he got a lot of you got a lot of heat for that for good reason because I mean it, that just shows his level of contempt. Not only to the Palestinians, not only the Gazans, but for all of humanity to come out and say a lie that is so categorically, ridiculously false, and to be brazen enough to just stand there in front of everyone and say with the utmost sincerity, straight look on his face, just shows what a mad dog he is. Well, you know what they say, the bigger the lie, the more people believe it. Yeah, he went way big on one. The thing is, you, you even had, you know, Holocaust survivors in Israel uh, before, like this, um, this uh, world 
Jewish Zionist Congress of some kind. But you had a lot of people who, even though they might be staunch Zionists, you know, the ridiculousness of it, as you said, Corey, beggared belief. And uh, it, it should be by now obvious that there is nothing uh, that he isn't willing to say or do to shore up his plan for a greater Israel and to vilify and demonize Palestinians. Right. And I mean, that leads back to what we were talking about earlier. I mean, the these geopolitical plans about destabilizing Syria and uh, making sure that Iraq is split into three uh, separate states and countries. I mean, what this is, uh, this amounts to, I mean, it looks more and more like it was just a, a basic attempt to secure Israel's continued um, massacre of Palestinians and spread of their territory. And so, I mean, we look at the destruction on this planet that is waged by, you know, the U.S., Israeli, Saudi Arabian, uh, you know, Qatar, all these rich people, and they're fun. And we see that what it's all about at the root is so that these guys have a bit more of the of the app of themselves. That's what they're going to sacrifice this. They can have a little bit more of, the, of the, that slice of the map. And they want to keep the all the Middle Eastern nations all split and divided and fighting amongst themselves, so they don't have any attention towards Israel at all. Well. What, what you guys said reminded me a little bit of um, the next plan, according to some, uh, of the U.S. along with Turkey. That is to secure uh, this uh, kind of a safe zone uh, in southern Turkey, northern Syria, um, you know, ostensibly to, to help refugees, uh, but really to create this kind of safe way for ISIL to to not allow them to really, you know, help preserve their their jihadi human resources, their men on the ground. Right, they get upset. Yeah, to steal from get pissed. You know, they that's for their uh, zone for. But we know what it really is. The refugees, that, that's, uh, that's a baloney statement because uh, you see reports coming in that more than a million refugees have returned to Syria. So, you know, with the Syrian gains and gaining their territory back, people are coming back. There, there's not so many refugees leaving. So it's basically got to be for terrorists, that buffer zone. Well, and I think that, uh, William, I think that points out this obvious way forward for Europe and for the world as a whole, I mean, if these refugees, they have this refugee crisis, but Russia, is, I can't you know how many it was the last count of uh, refugees who were returned. Oh, that's where they, they want to be home there. Yeah, that's obviously who doesn't want to be in this, they call them. And so if, you know, if Russia is able to do this in this uh, matter of uh, a month, um, I mean, just imagine what could uh, what could turn about in the, the next couple of months. And I think that a lot of intelligent Europeans um, powerfully know this. And I mean, I just pray that this uh, whatever craziness is being just foisted upon them by the right wing media, by you know all of these ultra nationalist uh, ultra nationalists, is it doesn't. Um, doesn't tip the scales in their favor before Russia has a chance to stick it out a little bit more. 
We mentioned this on last week's show. It, it looks like uh, the U.S. Donald Cook, one of these big, you know, bloated U.S. naval uh, thingies, is on a swell with three or four other um, carriers or destroyers or whatever they are uh, to the region of Syria. So uh, they should be there in four to five weeks, uh, which means that um, if the U.S. wants to get even stupider, uh, they'll they'll have some force on them to do that. Um, you know, it it could be that I don't know. I just don't see the situation getting any better. I no. don't see it getting worse. No, it's it's the authoritarians playing the great change game. They uh, everyone wants uh, the power, and they all believe that their their side is right, and they're just gonna keep pushing and and pushing until something snaps. Um, it's just like that that study that uh, was quoted in that article by Laura uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, that you know when these authoritarians played that great change game, which is all about um, uh, groups of people sitting around this uh, big old board game. I'm not sure how they had it up. The point is that each person represents however million people, and your decisions affect how resources are allocated, how the the, the people you're in charge of, how they develop economically, socially, militarily, um, and so this uh, sociologist, uh, Bob Altemeyer, decided to take this change game and to have two different types of people play it. One was the right-wing authoritarians who um, are uh, totally blinded by belief and their adherence to authority, and another was low right-wing authoritarians who are more um, go-along you know, make a uh, go along to get along type type people. And when the right wing authoritarians played this game, it was over in a couple of rounds because of nuclear warfare. And I mean, I think that's what we're seeing right now is like if you have these right wing authorities in, in power, these psych and the psychopaths in power, you're uh, you know, it's you're heading for destruction. Well, so like on the subject of right wing authoritarians, you know, what was mentioned in that article about Germany that we were discussing a little earlier was uh, this kind of paranoia switch or limbic warfare. And so it seems to me that, you know, there are a lot of people who might just be kind of moderately authoritarian um, or um, not informed, greatly misinformed, which seems to be a a vast number of people, uh, who, because because of the trauma involved in the hysteria, that, that they're getting bombarded with by their media regarding the, you know, the, the Paris attacks and the, oh my God, the, the migrants are all going to come and destroy us and it'll be a war and a civil war in Germany. Um, it seems that that's something to be aware of, that they're getting, they're, there's this amygdala hijack, as it's described in Martha Stout, that we're, we're getting our brains hijacked. Um, and uh, and there were a few components of that, Corey, that we were discussing a little earlier um, that kind of outlined the way that this works. And by golly, if it doesn't just describe the situation to a T, uh, you know, in the way that uh, Altemeyer's work does, um, just another way of looking at things, but certainly very instructive. Um, did you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, I'm... 
Well, yeah, Martha Stout, she wrote that book, The Paranoia Switch, and I mean, it was that was a pretty brave book, I think, to put out at the time about how 9-11 had hijacked America um, and the psychological reasoning behind it. And she talked about the six stages to uh, that paranoia, that amygdala hijack that you talked about. And the first phase is group trauma, which creates an unconscious fear response in the public. So when you see the, these French Paris attacks and all of the terror attacks before that, that has created a very powerful fear response that is linked to our survival. And so it um, automatically pretty much hijacks our brain and cuts off our you know, higher thinking. And then the second stage is a fear broker comes along and they use their fear for their private agendas, whatever they are. And so you see that happening a lot. A lot of opportunists will come out um, and recently they came out to uh, to use the, the Paris attacks to, for all sorts of draconian measures. And in France, they used it to try and clamp down on workers' rights. You know, they just use the fear for whatever, th- whatever they uh, have on their agenda. Then the third step is the scapegoatism, which is where the fear brokers stoke hate toward a tangentially uh, related group like the migrants who are not responsible, you know, refugees who, you know, as a group, we're obviously not, they're not terrorists, they're not jihadis all overrunning the country. But when you have your thinking capabilities shut down, it's very easy for a lot of people, especially authoritarian personalities, to see these people as the jihadis with the Kalashnikovs coming into your country. And they're all, you know, um, on a war path to Europe. And so that's the kind of thinking that goes on through the scapegoating used by the fear brokers. And this leads to the fourth step, which is cultural regression, which is revenge, us versus them thinking. And you see that a lot in Germany right now, as in the article where one young man said that um, the only question remaining is whether the Germans start a civil war or the refugees do. We are one major terror attack away from sheer chaos. And that is uh, that was written by a German who obviously is taken right in by this fear hijacking, this amygdala hijack, and um, it leads to intolerance, hatred, and primitive thinking. The fifth step, which it doesn't look like we'll ever get to it, is the recognition of the of being used or of being duped and the backlash against the individuals who duped you. And the sixth step is regret and forget. Now, forgetting, that seems like it's always on the agenda because for those fear brothers, for the scaremongers, for the warmongers, is to implant that fear response into us to so that, I mean, it's essentially like hypnosis and it's mass hypnosis on a, on a, now it's a mass hypnosis on a global scale and it works like a charm as we've seen time and time again. They get whatever they want. They, you know, people die. Or people are traumatized. They get whatever they want, and the cycle repeats. And I don't think it's because of how we are on this uh, change game. It's, uh, those are the steps to the to uh, the fear mongering and that shock that, that Martha Stout wrote about. Yeah, you broke that down very well, Corey. Thank you. Um, Well, folks, I think we're going to cut it a little short today. Uh, Certainly, there's a lot to keep track of and on top of uh, history in the making. And uh, I do encourage everybody to continue to read SOT. If you're not already, SOT.net, S-O-T-T.net. 
is really going to give a uh, and it's not just it's not just our writers and editors that are that are creating the information, but you have a whole community out there of independent uh, thinkers who who've done a lot of deep research into how things work, and um, and so it's a it's a website that is deeply informed with uh, the scarier, in many cases, truths about our world. And um, and so I just want to encourage you all to to continue to read it and, and follow developments because what we're seeing now, um, you know, if there's, a, if there's a world in 50 or 100 years, there will be many, 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 many books uh, in the ways that, in the same way that, there were many books written World War II. How could such a thing happen? Um, on the subject of uh, of this amygdala hijack and and um, the war, if you had tuned into um, Wells program, um, they had an excellent program which us uh, in context, you know what happens to us. You know when we're bombarded with information, so I invite all of you to to uh, download the archive and listen. Um, and just as a reminder, tomorrow, 2 p.m., the Behind the Headlines program. Uh, always an interesting conversation. Uh, it's helpful that uh, emergency room humor is used in that show, probably to better effect and the. Truth perspective, but we'll be adding some more humor as, as we sit. Um, and next Friday, 10 a.m., the Health and Wellness Show. Uh, until then, I want to thank uh, our caller, uh, Stephen. Um, thanks, Chris, for your uh, your guest appearance, Corey, William. And uh, until next week, take care, be safe, and. Uh, Keep thinking and good. Thanks, everyone. Good. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. All right, thought that went pretty good. Let's get it carried on. <laughs>